We're in Luke chapter 22. And it's a bit ironic that we're in this passage of Scripture today um, because we are looking at the denial of Jesus. And um, we're all aware of the, the story, the event that occurred last Sunday when 21 Egyptian Christians were beheaded for their faith because they didn't deny Jesus. And so, it's amazing what ISIS is doing these days. And we see these videos that come out periodically and we think, It can't get any worse. And yet it keeps getting worse. And um, ISIS blatantly sent a message to Christians around the world declaring that no person of the cross is safe. And they are provoking Christians, nations all around the world to come to their doorstep and fight. And uh, we'll look at that a little bit more in a moment. But uh, just know, church, that we live in a world today where it is dangerous to be a person of the cross. So let's look at Luke chapter 22 this morning. Uh, We're going to look at this story, and uh, then we're going to, I'm going to just share what um, God's desire for us is. How are we to live our lives um, based on this text and what is happening around us today? So chapter 22, verses uh, 31 through 34. Jesus says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster will the, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. What we see in this passage of scripture this morning is that uh, Peter is telling uh, Jesus is telling Peter that Satan has demanded Peter that he be able to sift Peter like wheat. And um, this this passage comes on the heels of the great de- debate that took place among the disciples. It was after the Lord's Supper, and the disciples were debating as to who was to be the uh, the uh, the greatest in God's kingdom. And we looked at that last week. And on the heels of that, Jesus says, "Peter, 
Satan demands you. He's demanding that he sift you like wheat. Why did he point out Peter? Probably because Peter was the most boisterous. He was the most arrogant in the group. And Jesus, in essence, is saying, Bro, you better be careful because you're about to get exposed. And Peter, when he hears those words that, uh, that, that he could never deny Jesus, that Jesus says, you're going to deny me. Your faith is going to fail you. And Peter says, that will never happen. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And you know the story. Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you are going to not deny me three times. Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail. And Peter couldn't imagine denying Christ. It wasn't in his being. And yet, Jesus knows. And so then we go to verses 47 through 53. And it's the garden scene. I won't read that text, but Jesus is in the garden. He's been praying. And then Judas comes. Judas comes with uh, soldiers, uh, the chief priests, officers of the temple, and Pharisees. And they, they take Jesus. And Peter, watching this, the Bible says in John chapter 18, that Jesus pulls out his sword. And he slices off the ear of a soldier, Malchus. And Jesus chastises Peter. Peter, don't do that. Put your sword away. Here we see Peter defending Jesus, living up to what he told Jesus he would do. Jesus, he, Peter tells Jesus, I'm ready to die for you. I will go to prison for you. And here Peter is protecting Jesus. And Peter said, or Jesus says, put your sword away. And chastises Peter. This had to have sent Peter reeling. He was staggered. Here he was defending his Lord and Savior. And Jesus doesn't want protection. And he chastises Peter. That's verses 47 through 53. And then we see in verses uh, 54 through 62, people see Peter. And they know that Peter was associated with Jesus. And call him out. And three times Peter denies it. And this is what the Bible says in verse 60. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you were talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. All that was 
taking place in Jesus' night that evening, being falsely accused, being beaten and spit upon, Jesus heard the rooster crow. Jesus knew where Peter was, and Jesus looked at Peter. Now, we don't know what kind of look that Jesus gave Peter, but it obviously brought conviction to Peter's life. And the Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. Now, before we're too hard on Peter, we need to understand that this is prior to the crucifixion. This is prior to the resurrection and the imparting of the Holy Spirit. Peter is reacting. He's living in survival mode. Yes, Peter failed, but his failure wasn't fatal. The best part of this very sad story is that it doesn't end with verse 62. The Bible says that Jesus, after the resurrection, goes on and he restores Peter. Peter, uh, in in, uh, in verse 32 of chapter 22, says, I have, Jesus told Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter has failed. Jesus is resurrected. Jesus restores Peter. And Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to encourage and strengthen the brethren when they fail. And Peter wanted to make sure that we understood this story. Because Peter's failure is in all four Gospels. I can just imagine Peter having spoken to Mark and Matthew and Luke and John And saying, if you guys are going to write something, I want you to make sure that you tell my story. And the grace of God that I've experienced. Peter failed. He failed miserably. But it wasn't fatal. Why? Because Peter repented. It wasn't like Judas Judas failed too, but he never repented. He just took his own life. He never knew the Lord Jesus, but Peter knew Jesus. So that, that's the story of Peter. But at the end of Peter's life, he never made that mistake again. He never denied his Lord Jesus. And Jesus said, that, told Peter, uh, feed my sheep, Peter. And there's going to come a day. John chapter 21, verses 18 and 19. Jesus says this. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you are old... You will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. 
This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Peter died a martyr's death. Jesus said that there's going to be a day where your arms are going to be stretched out, indicating that he is going to be crucified. And according to church history, the way Peter's life was ended was he wasn't crucified upside right. He said, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner that my Lord and Savior died. And they crucified Peter upside down. Peter's faith grew. So as we understand Peter's story, let's move this forward to 2015. What is Peter's story have to do with us today seven things i want to share with us this morning number one satan demands our lives as well satan demanded peter's life and you can bet my friend that satan demands every one of our lives if we are a child of god satan is requesting permission that he take our lives and sift us like wheat feel like you're being sifted like wheat these days hasn't caught god by surprise god understands and he has permitted it into our lives And the reason why he permits it in our lives is so that we might be able to grow through tribulation, that our faith might increase, we might know more of the power of God in our lives. I hope you're reading through the Bible this year and that you're taking that discipline uh, seriously. If you're going through the second um, year of reading through the Bible, uh, we're in Job right now. And we know the story of Job. Job, or Satan, asked permission by God that he would be able to sift Job like wheat. And we understand the heartache and all the trials that Job went through. But God allows those in our lives. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that 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 Satan, the enemy, is like a roaring lion seeking someone he might devour. This is our enemy, friends. And he wants to sift, and he's going to sift every one of us just like he sifted Peter. Which brings us to the second point. Jesus is interceding. For us. Jesus doesn't leave us out to dry. To fend for ourselves. No. He's at the right hand of the Father. He is our mediator. And he is pleading our case before the Father. He's praying that our faith might be strengthened. That our faith may not fail. And Jesus knows all of our failures too. Jesus knew what Peter was about to do. But Jesus didn't kick Peter off the team. No. 
Jesus prayed for Peter. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Hebrews 7, 25 says this. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is eternal, and Jesus is living to make intercession for us. Turn the page. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on their behalf. Is that what it says? On your behalf. Jesus is in the holy of holies this very moment, interceding, pleading our case before the Father. 1 Timothy 2, 5 says, There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. And he's praying for us that our faith will not fail. Be encouraged, Christian. Being sifted this morning? Jesus is praying for you that your faith may not fail. Number three, Jesus expects us to confess Christ publicly. If we're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, we cannot deny our faith in him regardless of the consequences. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, I'm going to start with verse 28. Jesus says this, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We need to fear God far more than we can we we fear man. Because man can only destroy the body, but God has the ability to destroy the soul. And we answer to a higher authority. Verse twenty nine Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. We cannot afford to deny our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't want us to be ashamed, but to profess him publicly. Which leads us to number four. Those saved persevere to the end. Those who are truly saved will not deny our Lord and Savior. 
Those who were truly saved, the Bible says, will persevere to the very end. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verses 9 through 14. This is what's to be expected uh, before the great tribulation at the end of the age. Verse 9, And they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. We have a responsibility, Christian, to persevere to the very end of our life. Those, those who persevere to the very end, Jesus says, are saved. Revelation chapter 2 verse 10 says, He calls the church of Smyrna to be faithful unto death. And then you'll receive the crown of life. Think of the testimony that went out all over the world because of the testimony of these 21 men who died for their faith. The Bible says Jesus isn't going to come until the whole world uh, has, has heard the good news of the gospel. The gospel is being spread, my friend. And we have a re- responsibility to pers- persevere. Being a Christian means being faithful even unto death. Which brings us to number five. We need to be prepared to die. Now, not all of us are going to die, but many are dying for the name of Christ. And Jesus says in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, that if you are a follower of me, you are going to be hated. They hated Jesus, and they are going to hate us. Now, We read of these reports that are taking place, especially in the Middle East, and we think to ourselves, are we in the middle of tribulation now? And in answer to that question, I would say no. But we are experiencing the birth pains that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 24, verse 8. And I believe the birth pains are intensifying. But as we know, we've seen throughout church history, these birth pains have always taken place. But we are 
closer today to Jesus' return than ever before. And I am intrigued about ISIS. You know, I've never heard of another uh, religion talking about the apocalypse like I hear ISIS talking about the end of time. They believe, their religion um, has led them to believe that they are the foreshadow of the ultimate apocalypse. And they are provoking the world to come to their doorstep for a fight. They want this to happen. And these videos are, are just meant to encourage the, the U.S. and the other nations of the world to come get them. Because their Koran, their Bible says that there is going to be a battle that, um, that takes place in Dabik. Oh, I was going to learn the pronunciation of this city, but uh, Debik, let's just say Debik. Where is Debik? Debik is the a northern, northern part of Syria, just south of the border of uh, Turkey. Outside the city, um, <clears throat> Muslim prophecy says that the Muslims are going to take on Rome. Now, who's Rome? Rome could be the United States. It could be the nations, the apostate nations of the world. But the world is going to come to Debik and take on Muslims. And there's going to be a war that occurs. And the Muslims are going to win this battle. And this battle will then set up the caliphate that um, that ISIS wants to see occur across a vast majority of the Middle East. If you remember uh, Peter Kassig, the um, the American aid worker that was probably the first one that to be beheaded, uh, Jihadi John, who uh, had the was from Britain and did the beheading. This is what. Uh, Jihadi John said on that ISIS video, he said, we bury the first crusader in the Bic, eagerly waiting for the rest of your armies to arrive. This is the battle that the world is facing right now. And church, the Bible says that we need to be Awake. We need to be prepared to die. And we're not just talking about Western Christians. We're talking about Christians all around the world. We need to be prepared to die. Look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 3. Let me just read it for you. You don't have to turn there. I'll find it for us. Revelation 3, 3 says, Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. 
We looked at Luke chapter 21 and what's to happen in the end times. Jesus says in um, Luke 21 verses 34 through 36. He says, but watch yourselves, let your hearts, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that the day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. We need to be awake. We don't know what's going to come with ISIS. I believe if we continue to ignore ISIS and not understand ISIS, ISIS is going to come to our shores. But Jesus says that at the end of time, the days are going to be like this. And we need to be prepared to die. Were the Egyptian Christians prepared to die? Obviously. Did they want to die? No. But as that knife was at that their, their throat, they were crying out to Jesus, Lord Jesus, come. And the greatest of all exoduses took place in their life as they gave up their life and were ushered in to Jesus' very presence. They died for their faith. Which brings us to number six. What would Jesus have us to do? Grieve with those who grieve. Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and grieve with those who grieve. Am I angry? Yes. I am very angry at what occurred with those innocent Egyptian brothers. But the Bible says, what, what is our response to be? We grieve with those who grieve and we continue to love even our enemies and forgive them. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. It's easy to forgive our friends or our family members, but Jesus says, love your enemies and forgive them. I listened to something that came across uh, Facebook this week. It was a radio program, and and uh, the person who had the show was interviewing a father over the telephone of uh, his son who had been beheaded last Sunday. And the father was talking about how he loved his son's enemy. And he had forgiven them. And how the gospel was uh, spreading uh, throughout that area because of these men's faith. These Egyptian Christian families are showing great restraint. And yet sorrowfully calling out to God at the same time. 
Let's remember them in prayer. Let's spend some time praying for them and grieving as they grieve. And then number seven, let's pray for the gospel to spread in restricted areas. The 1040 window, that, that, uh, that area where it's dominated by uh, Muslim people, it is a hard area. It's a dangerous area to take the gospel. And yet God is using these cataclysmic events. He's turning people's lives upside down. Christians and other religions are being relocated elsewhere. And people have an opportunity to share their faith like they've never had before. Let's pray that the gospel be spread. Pray for moderate liberal Muslims to see the error of their religion and turn to the true God. Muslims all over the world are looking at ISIS right now and and many don't want to identify they're people of hate. They're people of violence. They're not people of love. And they're questioning their religion. And they're looking at Christianity and the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is a man of peace, of love and forgiveness. Muhammad is a God of, of violence, of anger, and, and uh, control. And they're questioning this. Let's pray for a new Saul of Tarsus to be turn away from murdering to gospel witness. It happened in the Apostle Paul's life on the road to Damascus. Let's pray that one of those ISIS soldiers who beheaded one of those Egyptian Christians might turn and become the next Saul of Tarsus for the 21st century. And finally, let's pray with the martyrs in heaven for justice against those who do such wickedness. We need to be praying for God's justice, which brings us to the government's duty. Beheadings have been a way of life uh, for Christians throughout church history. But that isn't an excuse for governments to remain passive as our, our current president is. I cannot believe that he stood before a Christian prayer breakfast and chastised Christians for their behavior a thousand years ago or 200 years ago regarding the, the crusades or slavery to justify his own passivity, his unwillingness to do what's right. Government has a responsibility to stand up against evil. Look at Romans chapter 13. Let me read verse 4. For he is God's servant. 
meaning government, okay? God has instituted all governments around the, around the world. They've all been ordained by God. And the purpose of government is to be God's servant for your good, for our good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Government has a responsibility to bear God's sword. To protect good and to come up against evil. As Christians, we need to love our enemies and we need to be forgiving our enemies and praying for their salvation. But we also need to be praying for God's justice to occur, not only here, but around the world. And if it's necessary for for him to move in this nation and for this nation to lead, so be it. It's okay to pray that God take the the United States military into the Middle East and light up ISIS like it's the 4th of July. It's okay. It's a godly prayer because government bears the sword for good and evil. This is our government's responsibility. Now, in saying that, let me just remind all of us that the government is not our savior. The government is not the church. We have a responsibility to love and forgive and to grieve and to pray for God's justice. But only Jesus is our savior not the United States military. The Egyptian Christians, they didn't have a government to protect them. And believers throughout biblical history have not had governments to protect them. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Verses 35 through 40. Verse 35 says, Some of you were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might be so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Folks, Jesus was their Savior, and Jesus is our Savior. And we must trust Him. 
The Bible says that we need to be sober. We need to be alert. We need to be prepared to die if necessary for our faith. We are not to be ashamed of the person of Jesus Christ. Church, let's wake up. Let's be ready for his return. And let's truly be people of the cross for his glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your word is not silent on this crisis. God, it looks as if all hell is breaking loose and that everything is out of control. But your word in Revelation says that when all this occurs, Jesus, you are on your throne. And there is a time at the end of time where you're going to come back and you're going to make it all right. So in the meantime, we pray. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Egypt. God, they've lost. They've lost a lot. But they know that Jesus, that you hold them and that you're there for them. And many of them are ready to go through the very same thing that these 21 have. God, strengthen them. Jesus, thank you for knowing our weaknesses. You know our imperfections. You know when we fail. And you're praying for us. You're praying for all of us here in this room. You know what people are going through. God, give them strength. Give them faith to persevere. Help us be like Peter who learned from his mistakes and died for the name of Christ. May you find faith in us upon your return. In Jesus' name.